Hi, everybody, and welcome to our next episode on our Conversations on Gifted Trauma podcast. I'm here today with Eric Windhorst, who is a therapist and coach in Canada and a longtime collaborator. He's actually been around with me since I first started Intergifted in 2015, so we've been collaborating for six years. For our listeners who have been around and listening to our episodes along the way, you'll notice that I'm not here today with Karina Glinton. She's taking a hiatus from the podcast while she develops other streams of her work in the gifted field. You can follow her developments over at her blog on mermaidforest.com. It's mermaid-forest.com. While she's away, I'm inviting fellow therapists and other leaders in the gifted field into the ongoing conversation about gifted trauma and the paths to healing. So I'm excited to be here today with Eric, and I'm looking forward to a very rich conversation. Welcome, Eric. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you, uh, Jennifer. It's, um, yeah, it's wonderful to, to speak with you again. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about connecting with our true natures, that's where I want to start our discussion today. You have spent years and years of study and both personal and professional study in defining uh, what is our true nature and exploring, I say defining, which is kind of a funny word to put to it, but exploring and finding ways to um, open conversation and open healing around these questions of what is our true nature. So in your work, you work with three areas of nature that help clients understand what are the fundamentals? What, like when I think about my nature, what is that? And so I thought we could start our conversation with you talking about what are those three and sharing with us how you work with them. Sure. Um, that sounds like a great place to start. Yeah. So this is kind of, uh, I guess I would call it my current kind of working model, if that would be a, a way of describing it. I often have historically talked about like inner nature and outer nature, and I'll, I'll start with those two. So outer nature is what people typically think about when we think about nature is like plants, animals, weather, stones, rocks, water, you know, the things that are outside of ourselves that uh, at least typically we don't consider to be man-made. They're kind of, they're kind of part of the uh, evolutionary heritage that has been granted to us. Um, so part of my work is helping people connect with outer nature. I work with people who are like climate activists, people who are concerned about things happening in the world who are already quite connected with nature, but helping them to also see the therapeutic effects of connecting with nature in, in different ways and opening them up to what I often experience in nature, which is nature really just wants to help us. Nature wants to help us to heal. And, and this is complex. And uh, I don't want to go too far down that tributary because, well, I guess I'm kind of going down the tributary as, as we speak, but there's a lot of kind of concern about using nature or exploiting nature or taking advantage of nature, both kind of in the way that our civilization functions, but also in terms of like ecotherapy or bringing people out into nature. Are we taking from nature? My experience is nature just wants to give. That being said, the reciprocity is, is a necessary part of any relationship. So helping people connect with outer nature reminding people uh, or asking people about the experiences that they've had growing up in nature, childhood experiences, maybe, maybe even negative experiences, widening the conversation beyond just, you know, 
kind of cultural constraints of you're this, I'm that, we're these two people in this isolated dyad. Well, that's not the way that the world works. Everything is interconnected. That's a fundamental experience that I have in the world. And that's the fundamental kind of consciousness that I, that I bring to my work. Uh, now I realize I'm going into my third part of nature, which I will be getting to. So outer nature, um, what we typically think of as outside of ourselves. There's also inner nature. Inner nature is defined in a whole bunch of different ways. It's, it's like the core of who we are, our true self, our inner spirit, our inner daemon. It's this part of ourselves that is that we were born with that somewhat needs to be kind of uncovered and integrated, but but it's it's kind of our, our true self, it's our authentic personhood. And and whether a person is gifted or not, going through life many of us lose touch with different aspects of who we authentically are. And so a lot of my work with clients is intuitively noticing what's happening with clients. I pick up on a lot of like kind of what I would describe as kind of like energetic flows. And I can, I can sometimes experience like how, a, what a person has gone through and where parts of themselves have been kind of contorted or cut off. And right from my initial engagement with a person, I'm, I'm picking up on, on these messages and gently kind of bringing them to consciousness. I reflect back, I mirror back the inner nature. And as that's made conscious, there's an opportunity kind of for integration. Often there's an opportunity to kind of feel a lot of the pain, which has been frozen there that led to the disconnection. But without a connection with their true self, with their inner nature, life is like machine-like it, it feels i mean it's, it's kind of hard to describe because it's a very visceral experience but like one way i often describe it is it's like the world is kind of grayscale versus when you're kind of really grounded in yourself and your own uh intuitive knowing and who you are it's like the world is like 60 million different colors or it's like living like a subject object dualism and in connecting with your authentic nature, it's, it's kind of like you feel like all of a sudden it's like there's no gap between you and the world, no gap between you and your body, no gap between you and your intuitive knowing or uh, different aspects of, of yourself. And while this is important for all people, this is especially important for gifted folks because, and this is going to a little bit to some of the gifted literature, but we a lot of, a lot of gifted people have this, this sense of intelligence or this sense of drive you know, intensity, complexity, and drive. And if we're not hooked into that drive, it goes awry. I mean, the drive doesn't disappear. It remains in the unconscious and it looks for different ways to kind of, you know, escape or, or drug or even, you know, damage others because, because it, it's part of who you are. And if you're not kind of hooked in and allowing it to flow through you, it's going to be flowing, you know, left, right, and all over the place. And so, I find it vitally important to kind of open up that space to experiencing what is what is most fundamental and then slowly kind of cultivating that wholeness. So creating like a fertile relational field, creating an opportunity to have different experiences, creating an opportunity to connect socially with, with people who uh, are more like you. And, you know, particularly with the gifted community, oftentimes it's very rare to come across a true peer. Yeah. And we need we need that pure interaction to have different parts of ourselves mirrored back to us. 
And so I can do some of that for a client, but there's a need to expand that relational field, both to the social field, but also to the ecological self or the ecological field. And once you discover that gift, that treasure, it's kind of like an archeological dig. It's like, you're, you know, you're digging down, suddenly you, you find this thing and it's like, everything changes. It's like the central organizing principle of your life. It's like, it's almost like a complete paradigm shift which can take some time to fully integrate and, and be with, but oh my gosh, it's like the, the world is transformed, perception is transformed, experience is transformed. So that's inner nature. And, and more recently, I've added a third. I mean, these things aren't separate, of course, like these are just conceptualizations. This is what we do because we describe things, right? But the third nature is fundamental consciousness or the subtle energetic realm or intuitive connection. I mean, there's so many different ways to talk about it. But that's like the fundamental or what I experience as the fundamental layer of, I guess, the world. It's like, I mean, it's even hard to put into words it's almost like an energy of like being a stone or, or something that's ancient. It's like this very grounding force and it's tuning into that layer, which allows me to perceive the world in a subtle way. And it's what allows me to understand a person's inner nature and see these different parts, sometimes see into the past a little bit, sometimes see possible futures for a person. And that, that fundamental consciousness, that bringing that consciousness to an engagement with a person is so important. I'm not always doing it. I mean, I'm a human, I'm imperfect and have, and have flaws, but when we're in that space together, magic happens. It makes me want to cry because it's, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's, it's that interconnectedness that allows me to see the inner nature. It allows me to even interact with how that engages with kind of the wider ecological world. In kind of shamanistic traditions, it would be described as like the lower world. It's kind of, it's here, but it's, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit underneath. It's a little bit, it's a different way of observing the world. And increasingly I'm finding bringing that energy to my work with clients is just transformative. And well, and then as I'm thinking about this, I'm just thinking that, the difficulty of how do you teach that to somebody? I mean, how, yeah. and, and I'm not going to go too far down that tributary. Maybe we can, but it's, it's hard to even, I think I'm conveying it, but it's hard to apprehend until you've had the visceral experience a little bit. So, so these three natures, they're not really separate and they're all from my perspective, foundational to healing and healing from trauma. Yeah. Beautifully put. Yeah, it makes me think a lot about, you know, the fragmentation that comes with trauma as a result of trauma, just, you know, these fragmented parts of ourselves. And as gifted people, often having to fragment ourselves to get through the system, you know, fragment that part off because that's too much. Fragment that part off because it's not enough. Fragment that part off because whatever reasons that are coming with, you know, especially if you have choice exceptionality, overexcitability. Yeah, anything there's else interse even there's inter intersectionalities or yeah, other right. kind of minority kind of statuses yeah yeah absolutely it can be cultural it can be um yeah ethnic questions like whatever makes you different yeah. than what is expected from you you know you you risk fragmenting that off and yeah. 
So it makes me think about, you know, we have all of these different fragments that are, you know, I mean, people who have been through trauma and gifted trauma, having all these different fragments hanging out there somewhere and being able to understand those fragments as like welcome parts of the self, just that you don't know how to welcome them yet, that you, you know, you haven't felt safe welcoming them yet. And a lot of trauma healing is about reconnecting with those fragments and then, you know, giving them a home to, to come home to giving them a safe place to come home to. And then that, you know, reconnection that I'm picturing like sewing it back together. And I can imagine that if we would look at, let's say all the fragments of a client that's coming to you for sessions, we could probably look at which parts are their inner nature, which parts are there are the nature on the outside and which parts come from this fundamental consciousness. Because in terms of the fundamental consciousness, it's like, it is hard to mm-hmm. convey. And yet everybody has had an experience of it somehow or another, everybody. I mean, there's nobody I've, I've met, okay, maybe somebody, but there's nobody I've met, uh, you know. Yes. I, I mean, I'm pretty in sure. In some that, shape or fashion. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, yes. it could be like, you haven't had one since you were three years old and, you know, felt awe looking at a butterfly or something but probably you've had these experiences of like this intuitive knowing or this yeah this this grounding force that's like bigger than you and you're in touch with it and and even if that just comes through as like this profound intuition or something from time to time I mean everybody's sort of have had that but I mean how many people have I worked with and how many people have you worked with and how many people have we heard in in the intergifted community and talking about you know, in, in the gifted space, talking about having that fragmented, that part of themselves fragmented off, like their intuitive connection to whatever, you know, the energies that are greater, like that's cut off. Yes. And it's kind of funny that we're talking about it because even talking about this kind of stuff in the gifted space is yeah. like a little scary or very scary yeah. because historically giftedness is IQ first of all. So you put a number to it and it's about like recognizing patterns and understanding numbers up in the head, up in the head. And then we talk about like this deep knowing this deep connection to something greater. And it's, it's tricky in the gifted field because it's like, yeah, but that's for people who aren't intelligent. (laughs) That's a lot of times. It's, 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 yeah. And, and, I mean, my mind's going in several directions. So the idea of like constraints, right? Constraining systems. Everybody, I would say, who kind of is raised in, you know, kind of a westernized kind of patriarchal system, we will be fragmented, whether we're formally formally traumatized or not. Things are getting cut off. And in giftedness spaces, things are cut off, of course, because there's certain norms and certain ways of doing things that become standardized, whether it's done intentionally or unintentionally, it seems to be a phenomena that happens in human systems. So when I start with a client, especially uh, with, with gifted folks and especially with highly socially profoundly gifted folks, I try to have no boxes. Obviously I have conceptions of things and I have different ideas and different trainings and different theoretical frameworks, but I do my very best to put all of the constraints aside because the second I constrain myself or I start putting another person into a box, especially a person who's highly intuitive, sensitive, and, and 
and is very used to reading things and knowing how to navigate and fit in. It's so important to try to create a place that is open to everything. So that goes back to like that fundamental consciousness where everything, there's, there's not good or bad. There's not, you can be your full self here. And I will try my best as, you know, a human being to, to bring my full authentic self and bringing that kind of the energy to the dynamic provides avenues for these little parts of ourselves to bubble up because we all put kind of constraints on things when we think intellectually and going to that deeper realm allows us to hold that, that larger space. Yeah. So. Yeah. And for people who, like you said, have like grown up in the Western world, I mean, to say nothing about other cultures, there is a lot of fragmentation about that. And for gifted people who have been told yes. you should be super smart here up in your head. And then the yes. rest is, the rest is um, junk data. <laughs> you know then it's like grounding into that nature that goes beyond yes. just you know the the inner and outer what we see what we can witness is really i think it's it's for a lot of people i i watch them it's very scary i mean in, even in my 20s when i was kind of going through my shift into this realm i was like i don't know i'm not sure you know, and I, it took me a while to sort of warm up to it and have enough positive experiences that I fully welcomed back this part of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder how it is for you when you get a client that comes in who has been raised, let's say, in the Western world, who has fragmented out these various parts of themselves, and they come in and they're mm -hmm. having sessions with you and they're like coming with their main self that they present and then all the fragments are out and about and you're there with like you know interacting with them from a holistic point of view how is that experience yeah. for them i mean as much as you can say that about their experience sure. and then how is it for you and what is this process of sure getting, you know getting the fragmented parts like welcome like calling to them and getting their attention and helping them to feel safe enough to come back yes so I would imagine, uh, or what I kind of see in clients when they first come in and we've had like an initial conversation, there's often a sense of like, what the heck's going on? I think kind of like, what, what is this? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't match up with kind of their previous experiences in therapy, or this doesn't match up with, with kind of how people typically respond to them. So I think there's a bit of a, like a relief and a bit of a shock that often happens initially. So I guess in terms of the way that I, you know, that I kind of typically work with clients. Some of this reflects my, my formal training kind of uh, psychologically and some of it's things that I've developed intuitively as, as time has gone on. But, you know, the first primary thing is kind of grounding oneself in, in, in that kind of authentic uh, inner nature, being grounded in kind of the, the fundamental consciousness um, because that opens the, the fertile ground for these parts to kind of, kind of feel a bit welcome. It's like kind of dipping your toes in the water a little bit and dip, dip your toes in, see how it feels. Oftentimes, the way that I'll start with a client, and, and this goes to looking at wider systems because these, these wider social systems, these wider family systems, ecological systems, shape us in powerful ways and often are the source of the fragmentation. So I often start with something called the family genogram. Mm -hmm. And what a family genogram is, for those who aren't familiar, it's, it's a multi-generational map 
uh, kind of like a family tree that you've seen probably, but not just looking at people's, you know, births and deaths and occupation, but looking at multi-generational personality dynamics, relational dynamics. I, I often ask kind of person, like, what was your experience of this person? Or what do you know, like, what is your sense of this person? And, and how, how did these relationships, were these relationships kind of, were they close? Were they codependent? Or was there conflict? What are some of the striking memories of, of, um, of these relationships and of these people? And that kind of map, that initial family system map, and families powerfully shape us. I mean, is it the only factor that shapes us? Obviously not. There's wider social systems. There's the inner nature. But just in going through that process, it provides me with a lot of information, some of it conscious, a lot of it, I think, just unconscious and kind of like permeates me and it kind of sits with me and things will kind of come on board as, as, as our work together continues. It's like, oh, shoot, like you just said this thing. And it's like, that sounds like maybe something that came from, from this person. It provides me with a lot of great kind of information to then be able to work, you know, work with a client and help them to kind of see how these different dynamics have shaped them. Usually from there, it's almost like a kind of, I kind of reach a bit of an internal saturation point a little bit where it's like, okay, I kind of, I think I kind of get a feel for this person in the room with me or, or via Zoom, like who they are. I get a sense of some of like this fundamental system and how it has shaped them. And typically from there is asking questions. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's practices, there's exercises, there's homework, but a lot of it is just asking questions. It's like, hmm, you know, I'm sensing, you're saying like, uh, I guess a simple example would be like, you know, you're saying you're happy, but I'm sensing like at a real fundamental level that there's a real sadness inside of you. What does that feel like? Uh, what does that feel like in your body? And not everybody has access to even being in touch with their bodies, but oftentimes that may start eliciting some, some feelings. And then I kind of get, maybe I'll get an image of like an inner child frozen at age two because of the abuse of an alcoholic father or something and and that family genogram then coalesces with kind of this intuitive sense and it's like all of a sudden that part that part's like there in the room or in our kind of interpersonal space and it's just kind of being with that gently being with that inner child or being with that part of yourself and, and feeling the grief, uh, feeling the grief that you had to lock that part away. It wasn't bad that you did that. that, that part's not bad, but you felt like you had to lock that part of yourself away in order to survive in the world. Good for you. Like, otherwise you may have not, you yeah. may have not continued on living, whether that's psychologically or physically, it, because there's often a lot of shame about that. It's like, you start feeling feeling this and then you start feeling ashamed. It's like, oh, how did I do this to myself? Like, how could I, like, why, why did I waste all of this time and uh, all these missed opportunities? It's like, you did the best that you could and everything happens, you know, when the time is right. And that goes back to that kind of the outer nature and seasons of life and just allowing the process to unfold. There's no standard operating procedure here. There's no standard operating procedure for life. There's no standard operating procedure for how you should identify yourself or how you should be in the world. Just allow yourself to be with what is. And that kind of just being with what is and tuning into the body and having parts of yourself mirrored back to you in a loving and compassionate way 
it just it, it's like the pieces like you kind of use that metaphor of kind of like uh, it's like sewing the pieces together it's like that just starts happening both unconsciously a lot of it's unconscious really yeah it's it's and some of it's conscious and once that process starts um i think oftentimes once a person really is ready for that process or reaches out it's almost it's inevitable that it's going to continue yeah. What does the timing of that look like? Well, it depends on the person and their context. There's a whole bunch of variables at play. But then it's it's me kind of holding space, asking questions, you know, at the right time, being sensitive to a person's context and some of their limitations they might have in their contemporary life. Like we can't we can't always just like deal with our shit when we're struggling to put food on the table or freaked out about the climate catastrophe. Like there needs to be a contextual piece there. But I don't know, I just have like this tremendous faith in people, tremendous faith in nature, that everything is unfolding as it should. Um, and that's, that's a whole complicated, because I, I'm like, oh shit, there's a lot of things that, that, that I have frustrations with that about. But, <laughs> Same. Um, but there's also, but and there's so there's that and then there's but there's also this deep knowing that it's okay it's it's okay that you let this unfold as it will sometimes i guide and push maybe push a little bit uh if it feels right but oftentimes it's just it's just allowing and trusting the process to kind of unfold as it will and somehow through that process of, of working together with the person uh you know depending on whether we're working on like a, a you know a specific trauma that a person has been through or more kind of chronic trauma or uh you know complex trauma it, you know it takes different timing but it just kind of unfolds and and it feels kind of magical things you know things come online connections are made internally and externally and a person's quality of life seems to transform even when their kind of external circumstances maybe aren't moving along at the same rate and it's just like, I'm, I'm very grateful to have that experience of being able to witness that. It's like a, I mean, if there's anything that I would define as sacred, it's those experiences. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think the healing process is absolutely sacred to experience oneself and to witness and to share. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah. It, you know, I was, I was personally raised in a, in a fairly kind of conservative uh, Christian sect of other Dutch immigrants to, to Canada and the area where I live. And, you know, what, there, there were some good things about the community, a lot of things that let's say were less than good. But one thing that like the idea of grace, that idea of grace is just powerful. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the, after I, after I was able to sort of redefine it, redefine the idea of grace for myself after leaving religion, then I was, yeah, it was something that, stuck with me as well this kind of grace and following the rhythms the natural rhythms of life I think something that you're talking about is so powerful and I don't think in our episode so far we've really delved deeply into it but it's really this idea of resources and how resources work with their own rhythm and timing so like if you like you're saying if you are going through a trauma as a let's say a child you you have an intuition for how to survive that. And it may be, it may provide you short term. I mean, it's kind of this irony, right? Like it provides you survival, but it also hurts you 
because compensations are also damaging. But you know, okay. it's if we think about it, uh, like as uh, like we think about the physical correlate of surviving emotional trauma. If you're surviving physical trauma, you also are willing to hurt yourself to get out alive. You yes. know, for the for the basically greater good yes. of of your life. Yeah, of survival. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And the re this this reframing that I've found in a lot of the more somatic. Um, approaches to therapy uh, and to trauma healing specifically uh, is is really powerful i think talking about this amazing force that we have inside of ourselves that yes. knows intuitively what to do in order to survive yes. a situation and like you said i have a lot of people that say to me yeah but it's been 20 years it's been 30 years why am i still dealing with this why why am i still using this quote resource I, i'm not unsafe anymore but it is one of those things that it really takes some time to relearn how to be and to develop new resources and it really does mean like it does require that you be safe and then the safety activates like this melting of the yeah. old uh the old configuration yeah, and melts it yeah. into and then it allows it to reconfigure like you know uh, a butterfly or something yeah yeah, a positive disintegration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and, and, and trauma is not necessarily always bad. You know, like we often. I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel good. <laughs> it's not like it, in in many ways, it's easy to kind of just like paint it with this black brush. But if it wasn't if it wasn't for traumas that I've been through, I wouldn't be the person I am. And I wouldn't be doing, I probably wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing, which is deeply meaningful and transformative for people. So in some ways, I'm actually, you know, and I have to be careful with this because it's not about like, uh, you don't want to like force getting to this place. But eventually, oftentimes people will get to a place of, of kind of saying, you know, that that was shit. But you know what? I came out the other side and I'm, I actually really love the person that I've become because of, because of that. It's kind of like, I mean, I guess you could call it post-traumatic growth or, or kind of like a positive disintegration where that trauma, whether it was an in internal kind of trauma that kind of precipitated something in existential like confusion, it like crystallizes another opportunity to go off in another direction. And yeah, I, I, I have a hard time when, when, uh, when trauma is just like labeled as this like really negative thing that we need to heal from. I think that attitude can often perpetuate resistance and and kind of like even shame um, at times. Anyways, but you you had brought up, and, and my mind goes in these kind of circles at times, but you brought up something kind of with your last question, which I wanted to address. In my work with clients, like that, that fundamental consciousness or that fertile kind of field opens up internal resources. Um, it opens up safety and stability. It's rooted in, in a lot of body uh, type of somatic kind of work, although I maybe use different words to kind of describe that. And if you hold that space where everything is allowed to be here, everything, all the things that you've labeled as bad, as good, all of it can be here with us. That immediately seems to like, I can almost feel it as I'm describing it. It's like this, it's like, oh, everything kind of sinks down and it like, yeah, it kind of starts coalescing uh, both consciously and unconsciously. But if it's okay, like just shifting to like the outer nature piece of things and, and how I work with people more explicitly 
kind of with connecting with with plants and and uh, and animals and, and natural places. You know, I'm fortunate, like where I live, despite being in a fairly like large urban center, about over over half a million people, we have kind of these natural places that have been protected historically, like surrounding us. And oftentimes, I'll meet with clients and we'll go on hikes together. And depending on the client and depending on you know the issues that they're facing, you know, sometimes with trauma, that's that's not the best thing to do, or or particularly the best place to start. Because if you think being completely open like nature kind of invites us to an expansiveness and openness that can be kind of terrifying for some people yeah. it can also be incredibly healing but the most amazing things happen when i'm on hikes with people and i surrender a little bit of my own kind of intention or my own ego control about something it will be we'll be talking about an issue or something and so many times something will happen in 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 the natural place that we're in or which will basically kind of either mirror back to us what's happening or kind of show us a way forward. Um, and I'm reminded of a particular example and I'll change kind of like identifying information and that type of stuff. But I had been working with, um, with a woman, I'll call her Sandra uh, in her thirties, uh, dealing with, you know, gifted specific trauma, but also just dealing with the complexity of, of navigating life in our world at this point in time. And she was in a really toxic relationship. We kind of we really talked about it we, we kind of tried to see like okay what what can you maybe do to help shift the dynamics in this relationship um it was a, it was a friendship that had been going on for some time and it seems like no matter what uh, what sandra did it would be met with negativity or she would be attacked or everything was always her fault and sandra felt herself to be at like a crossroads she could she could go one way or another way one way was to kind of say I cannot continue this relationship because it's causing me, you know, continued harm. But if I do that, I feel incredibly guilty. Uh, and I feel like I'm, I'm letting them down. I feel like I'm not good enough. So there was a lot of sense of shame connected with that. The other option was to continue on with this relationship and, and maybe try to change the dynamics or try to, you know, uh, come with a different way, set better boundaries, let's just say. And as we're talking about this, we, we literally come up to a fork in the trail. And I knew that like, if we went the one way, uh, I was pretty familiar with this, with this area, it, it ends in the dead end, literally just in a dead end, it goes nowhere. And if we go the other way, it opens us up to like this beautiful vista of, um, of this local uh, waterway. Mm. And, and I just brought that up to her. I'm like, oh, it's like, it's literally like, there are kind of two options here, but, but only one really seems to lead to, to potential for, for beauty and growth. And whatever it was in that instance, it gave her permission. It gave her permission to kind of say, I feel the guilt, I feel the shame, but I know I've done enough and I know I can let this go. And I could never have planned that intervention. I, I mean, it just happened. And it's those types of experiences like out of doors, which, which are wonderful. Another thing that I often do with clients is, and depending on the person, but like give them kind of nature-based homework. So. I'm reminded of another client. I'll just give a, a little bit of background just, uh, so people can kind of understand. But so, uh, so this person, uh, just a wonderful soul, uh, uh, an, an amazing, I'm going to start crying just thinking about this person, but mm. she, I mean, came from a dysfunctional family, you know, with all those kind of typical stereotypes. 
she was a she's gifted person, uh, was never kind of allowed to bloom as herself. And I began seeing this person after they had escaped a six year horrendously abusive marriage, mm. um, just horrendously controlled. And I, I, I don't even know. It's a miracle that she survived from, from my perspective. And I asked her, like, is there any place or is there anywhere inside of yourself or um, is there any place that you feel good or safe or positive? And the, the one place was her backyard. And, uh, and the, the tragic subsequent tragedy is that she ended up losing the house in, in the divorce. It was, it was mm. tragic. But, and, and so she, when she's in her backyard or when was in her backyard, she had this sense of being at peace. Uh, her dog would kind of be ruffling around in the garden. There was a, a giant silver maple that she really strongly identified with this, this ancient tree who had probably seen massive transformations over time and it just still stands sturdy and strong and she felt that sense of sturdiness and strongness there um in exploring after after her losing that space and we still go back to it together in in our conversations but going to other natural places nearby and i invited her like if you feel safe enough do you think maybe you could go out and just spend some time sitting uh sitting by a tree just just being there and you know, she had a lot of anxiety about that. And we talked about different ways of, of going about that. And she eventually found the courage to do it. And the amazing thing that happened is as she started visiting that place, all of a sudden her creativity came online and she did not identify it as a creative type of person. Suddenly she was writing poetry and it was reflective of kind of the natural environment around her, but also kind of co-processing her own trauma that she had been going through. Um, and if it's okay, I actually have a couple of her poems. Would it be okay if I was to share? Absolutely. That... If she's, if she's okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay with this. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to share two poems. One is from earlier on in our work together. One, one is from a bit later on. And her first poem is called my adopted tree. Hmm. You have been around since before I was born. The landscape keeps changing as the natural environment continues to erode around you. And yet you live, you bring me solace, as I dream about the stories you could tell. Your bark is weathered and strong, concealing the precious wood within. So many people simply walk by you, ignoring your offerings of beauty and peace. I don't like sharing you with others, those who do not appreciate your soul. All of the seasons you have survived, drought, cold, environmental war, from a seedling to a giant. My adopted tree, you give me hope that I can survive. My personal seasons of trauma, hell, debt, loneliness, fear. I adopted you, or did you adopt me? Um, and the next poem I'm going to share uh, happened several weeks after that first poem. Um, and this poem's called You Are. In the woods, completely enveloped by the sounds and the smells of trees, leaves, water, birds, and the wind. No idea where north, south, east, west are found, as the woods swallow me whole. My body and soul are absorbed into what feels like a loving embrace. However, how would this child know how that feels? The child who is forced to be an adult from the moment of conception, the child who has no clear memories of being understood, 
and no knowledge of an unconditional embrace. Woods accept this child as she is, and while she may not yet know who she is, she thinks she hears the woods whisper to her through the birds, wind, the crumpling leaves, and the rippling waters. You are, you are lovable, you are funny, you are kind, you are beautiful, you are gifted, you are not to blame, you are. Well, for listeners who can't see me, I have tears in my eyes. Yeah, as do I. Yeah. It's so powerful. It makes me think about the sort of this feedback loop, you know, with mm. with these different parts of our nature. And I mean, when I work with people who don't see themselves as being connected with that fundamental consciousness, yes. like she, for example, I mean, because creativity often comes out of that fundamental consciousness. And yeah, absolutely. You know, it does this client wasn't even identifying herself as a creative person. And then she goes into the outer nature and it speaks to her in this super creative way, super embodied way of her inner nature. And yes. so the, the three flow together in a way that Correct. sitting in a room, you know, talking about it intellectually, it's, it's never going to go there. It's never going to put these things together in that way. Yeah. And also your first uh, example about like the fork in the road yes. and how this physical, like just living this physical moment. I mean, it, it was quote, just a moment. And yet it's this embodied experience that you can't deny. I mean, you see, you can right. physically see these two roads and it suddenly makes sense because the intellect can abstract to infinity and then give you all of these things. Yeah. But if I do this, but then that, and, but what about and, you know, and then if you're sort of stuck within yourself and you don't have anything pulling um, your attention out toward what's really real, you know, this is something that Karen talks about, like what's figuring out what's really real. And it's yeah. one of the reasons that, you know, she works so much with fundamental consciousness and nature mm -hmm. connection, like, you know, nature connection, both inner and outer, and these things yeah. being like, an essential part of uh, connecting with our ourselves and yes. our aliveness, like our essential existence. And I mean that as inclusively as possible, not just our of local, course. you know, experience, but our entire aliveness, our entire um, existence, like I said. And so it, yeah, it strikes me through these examples that you're sharing how interwoven these things are. And yes. when somebody would be tempted to dismiss any other any part of it and say well um you know i don't need any of that woo woo stuff or yeah. what what good are some trees gonna do me or i don't know some kind of dismissing sure. reaction to this kind of work it's like no you can't <laughs> you can't get the full picture of of the self like from a, disemb a disembodied approach no no absolutely not and you know, particularly for, for gifted folks who we have tend, we tend to go to our minds, right? Like whether that's through socialization or, I mean, you can't really separate all of these things, but yeah. that is the power, the power center of, of making sense of things and keeping us safe oftentimes. And these experiences are fundamentally irrational and somatic and energetic. 
And I love that idea of like, what is really real? Like what is really real right in this moment? What is really real inside of you? And, you know, sometimes people are, are, are dismissive or, or very resistant and that's okay. Although I strongly have these experiences and, and I would say like, it's very true for me, although I don't know, I don't feel like saying that is really true. I mean, I do think there's something true as in capital T true that happens, but it's okay if you, if you don't feel comfortable with that or if you want to reject it. I mean, that's okay. I'm, I'm not offended by that. And it's again, having that capacity, it's kind of like the Wu way or the like, yeah. uh, or, or the, um, uh, what's that martial art? You know, the Aikido, it's kind of yeah. like, Okay, so you're pushing at me. That's that's okay. I'm not going to push back because that's just going to create more resistance. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna bend like the bamboo and then come around the other way. And that's fine. I mean, there's there's a there's many ways to to kiss the ground, right? So yeah. that's a, I, mean, I guess that that's another kind of way that I work with people is allowing all of it allowing the resistance allowing the allowing the anger allowing the shame allowing the the even the dissociation at times it's like it's okay all of it is welcome here all of it is part of the the relational field and eventually just by allowing those things to be with each other and coalesce it's like a little ecosystem gets formed and and new possibilities kind of emerge from the soil and i don't even know what like what is actually happening i cannot intellectually map out what I'm doing I can try to find different theories and different different intellectual kind of framings but it never really does justice to capturing the complexity and the uh, the beauty of, of what is happening and you know that's that's why even as I would kind of identify in some ways as an eco-psychologist or as an eco-therapist it's like even that feels kind of like putting this whole thing into a box and I mean, part of this is probably my gift in speaking, quite frankly, but I hate boxes. I, I hate I hate the idea of constraining anything. I want it to be open. And it's not just that it feels constraining and limiting to me. It's like, this is going to constrain what is really real from emerging. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so labels are not bad necessarily, but wow. It's like the second you start putting things in the box, you are, you are, potentially cutting off possibilities and that to me at least especially early on I mean things get more directed and, and we, we hone in on themes or different parts but but allowing it to all be there and just a, trusting again trusting that there's something else going on there's something else guiding this process historically I, I would have because of my upbringing would have called that like the holy spirit or god again those labels to me at this point kind of feel like very problematic and, and limiting in and of themselves. But so whatever's happening, it's 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 really real. Yeah. 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 And I mean to to a degree, allowing all the parts to be there all at once is really interesting because there are a lot of people who there's a part of them that's like, yes, I want to connect. Yes, I want to be um wholly in touch with my with the, the fundamental intelligence and I want this flow, this like aliveness that mm -hmm. opens me up every second to what really is so that I can fully be participating in life. And then there are other parts that are like, oh no, you don't, I don't want that. That's, and sometimes that comes through with like, that's stupid. 
that's um, you know for weak people. I mean, it can come through any in any way that's dangerous or something. And to let both parts be there or all those parts, like the ones who really want and the ones who are saying no way. I think that's a really powerful thing. And I can say, oh my mm. God, working with gifted people all these years, right? Like watching the different parts of them be like, you know, I work with my, the model that I, I came up with for self-development for gifted people. And so the intellectual, the creative, the emotional, the physical, existential, and sensual intelligences that are kind of all there in some formation. And I mean, watching people sometimes do like mental gymnastics to avoid awareness of their central intelligence, for example, or their emotional intelligence or something like this. And, and just sort of seeing their own resistance to their own, you know, complexity. And sometimes it's uh, this is a little counterintuitive when you think about a gifted person, but sometimes it's that they're rejecting their intellectual intelligence as well, especially people who grew up in very strict religions. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So you and can have something coming. for women too, more so than. Yeah. For, I was going to say often. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And so you can have, I mean, just, we're just taking like the giftedness aspect, like how your gifted mind shows up. And there are, so many fragmented parts for so many gifted people that are like, I accept this part of me, but not that other part. And then like, I'm just talking about the main six areas that I work with. Yes. But if you take even within each area, I what, accept yes. some aspects of my intellectual intelligence, but not the other. And so like welcoming all of that into the room, which we do, you know, when I do assessments, when we do assessments through intergifted yes. world, this is one of the things we're doing. We're like, can we just welcome the whole thing? We don't have to say whether it's good, bad, good or bad. We just, we just want to see like, what, what is the raw material here that you're working yes. with? Um, a person may have never had that experience before. Most welcomed. of the time they haven't. And so that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons their assessments are like such this huge watershed moment for people that they're like I've never I've never had the opportunity to talk about the whole picture of my intelligence like the parts that I accept the parts I don't accept the parts that scare the hell out of me the parts I love yes. um, the parts that I've used as survival mechanisms and the parts that like are desperate to get attention you know kind of all of these things and it makes me think you know it's it's so linked to what we're talking about here about mm -hmm. like because I'm you know when I look at giftedness in this way, I'm like looking at these areas of intelligence, but if, and this is kind of to a degree, let's say limited, although I don't like these words, but just, you know, bear with me listeners. It's, sure. you know, it's sort of limited to the self, so to speak. Yes. But when we look at the way that you're working with people, you're even opening them to this, the greater connection even beyond. So, I mean, we're doing a little bit of that, but your work is really explicitly for that connection. And I could picture a person already coming to the table with these issues in relationship to their six areas of intelligence and the way we de define it with intergift in intergifted. And then trying to interact with their three natures or how many ever natures there are, we're talking yeah. about three today. Sure. Um, like, I can just imagine the complexities and I've seen the complexities and I've experienced it myself. If you're rejecting some of your, let's say emotional intelligence, it's gonna be quite challenging then to, to, uh, to connect deeply to the fundamental consciousness because that requires this kind of emotional in and intuition openness. and yes. awareness. Yes. And yeah. So like bringing in 
all of their giftedness because I mean you you you're able to do that you're able to allow somebody to bring in their whole giftedness and then bring in all of the resistances that come around connecting all of that giftedness and whatever again like we said at the beginning whatever other um, intersections there are for a person uh, so bringing all of that and all of the fragmentation and resistances and 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 also like the cherished parts all of the things and all the space between all of the parts that are even like you know there's a lot of undefined stuff as well it's not just like there's fragments and then nothing in between it's like all oh, the space is you too um uh-huh. but bringing that all in to the process of um, being supported by you and when I think about your work I think almost more of facilitation than I think of I mean it is therapy but it's a facilitation well, process and it's facilitating somebody coming home to themselves in this holistic way and coming home to their like as we say their true nature but I can just imagine this feeling of you know mm-hmm. as you were saying like this oh this like the body that's like oh my god the whole part the whole thing all of the complexity all of it not even just the complexity that would do well on an IQ test <laughs> all of it's welcome mm-hmm. well and, and it reminds me Jenna of you know, of when I was dealing with my own, my own trauma and if, uh, I mean, all of, all of the, the vagaries of existence, let's just say. Uh, and I started that process consciously, at least when I was about 25. And I mean, it's not, it's ongoing, right? Like, I mean, the, 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 the path is the goal in, in a sense. And, and I continue to kind of expand in different, in different areas. And as part of that initial work that I was doing, I worked with a, a union analyst and it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't explicitly, uh, giftedness related but he was a very intelligent person who had also been through a lot of uh, similar experiences to me uh, and was able to be a little bit ahead of me which was which was very important we did dream work and Mm -hmm. one of one of the dream images that that kept on coming up was uh, the idea of being a greenhouse Um, Mm -hmm. like me myself is a greenhouse and it's interesting because I, I worked at a greenhouse. I love that space of like openness and literally it's like, you're basically open to everything except protected. And I would say if I was to kind of conceptualize what I do in an image and, and in kind of a metaphor, it'd be, I'm a greenhouse. So you mentioned like facilitating and, and what, I mean, what, what a greenhouse does is it basically optimizes the conditions for growth. Um, And that's, that's controlling you know, the amount of sunlight, the temperature, the, the nutrients going. And I would say what I'm kind of doing with people is acting as a greenhouse for their self. And so I'm not actively, like I, I am kind of adjusting certain environmental parameters to kind of change things, but all, all I'm doing is allowing what already is there to all be okay. And then to kind of grow forward. And, and honestly, it's like, that's what plants do. That's what humans do when they're put in the right environment. And there's no good, bad, beautiful, ugly. It's all just part of, of the, the, the holism of that experience. And, and what's helping the plants to grow? Well, it's the, it's the sunshine and their innate kind of connection with the elements. Well, and, and what a shame, what an absolute shame that that cannot just be kind of like everybody's right uh, yeah. from birth. And it is my intuitive sense and my hope that that is, you know, that we and move towards that as a collective humanity at some point, uh, you know, and, and we've had conversations about climate and things like that, but these, these disintegrations, these traumas, the complexities, 
it's like the fractal nature of reality. It's like, it's happening inside of me. It's happening inside of you. It's happening outside of us. It's happening in the flow. And my personal philosophy is kind of like, if we can all find a way to be with what's really real for us, that's the greatest thing that we can do for the collective. And sometimes, especially when you're, you know, pretty smart and you can analyze things and you can kind of say like, yeah, but I'm efficient in this or, but this person can do that or I should be like this. And it's like, okay, but what's really real? What's really real? And where is that kind of guiding you? And the discernment between kind of maybe avoiding something which is not authentic and avoiding something which is maybe trauma related or avoiding something which is a growth area, that takes a lot of discernment. But it's been my personal experience as well as my experience of working with clients as well as my observations of, of humanity in general that under the right conditions under those greenhouse conditions those things just naturally happen yeah so it makes me wonder if listeners are going okay well i'd like to provide those greenhouse conditions for my own life yeah. starting today what can i do what should i do what will we tell them you already started. I mean, that's a little bit esoteric and maybe not um, uh, super practically helpful, but I think even asking the question has already shifted the relational field, which will provide opportunities. Pay attention, like really pay attention and have intention that maybe there's things happening around you that are trying to show you something about yourself or follow the creative, the creative thread or impulse and see where that goes or pay attention to your dreams and just like intuitively kind of be with them. And maybe they're trying to tell you something or notice your patterns in relationships and, and notice places where maybe you're feeling internally like, oh, I feel constrained here. Like just pay attention to what's happening to you and your body's gonna send you messages and, and give you like guidance on where to go. As that happens, it's like, again, like the outer nature, like when I, what I find is when I'm intending kind of setting an intention of like I'm open to being taught or I'm open to, to learning I will have experiences all the time that are kind of like oh that's reminding me of something oh there's a blind spot that I forgot about oh um oh shoot like that 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 reminds me of something that happened to me in, in childhood oh now I can I can process that and get an additional layer of coalescing and healing so there, I guess like there's many kind of there's many different avenues I mean reading self-help books can be helpful for some people but oftentimes and because a lot of these traumas whether they're gifted specific or more general traumas happened in a relationship almost all of them happen in a relationship mm -hmm. right like this is nothing new but oftentimes that needs to be healed in a relationship right and and that that can often take the form of therapy or other kind of social groups where you're getting that mirroring back for you and all i'm kind of doing is taking that and and kind of expanding it out a bit further that everything's everything, nature, fundamental, everything is kind of wanting you and, and wanting you to open up and to move in the direction of what is really real for you. And perhaps that is a, a little bit idealistic. Um, in some ways it is, in some ways it's not because people do face significant uh, struggles in, in the systems that we exist in. And, and not to disregard those struggles and not to kind of say like they're not they're not legitimate and they're not really difficult. But even within things, if we can open our eyes in a new way, in a fresh way, 
it can sometimes be surprising what lessons are there to learn. Yeah. And I would add there too, that like, in, I remember from my own process, I wanted to believe that life wanted me to open up and be my full self, but I had a lot of relationships where that was not, it was not okay. It was not safe for me to open up and be my full self. And my trauma self wanted to take that as um, proof that what you just said, it wasn't true. And there was a moment where I, it was a very specific moment. I can remember where I was kind of, you know, in my head compiling the list of why that couldn't be true. And then I yeah. thought, well, that's interesting that I'm so determined to prove that life doesn't want me to open up. And then I thought, well, if I can like have a counterfactual list, then, you know, even if it's really small compared to this big list of evidence I've compiled, well, at least and I'm, I will have like put a hole in my theory that, you know, life is just against me kind of thing. And so I made a list and it was, a, a li I made a second list, a counterfactual mm -hmm. list. And I was pretty impressed with it, actually. I was like, okay, my trauma self has been my, my looking filter. And I've been looking at the world, looking for these, this evidence that I'm not safe to be myself yeah. uh, and that the world quote, doesn't want me to be myself. And now I can, you know, I'm thinking of your client where you're like at the fork in the road and seeing, okay, well, actually I have two ways I can go and I can keep kind of obsessing about the people who don't want me to be myself and keep holding myself back. Or I can go the other path toward these people who do seem to welcome at least a fuller version of myself than the others. And it was really, you know, I had to get to what was really real and, and, and say, okay, it's real that I have to, you know, I, I do have choices here. Well, and, and as you, as you said that, like that, the, the idea of a resistance, right? Like the, your trauma self was, was, was feeling resistant and then your mind was going to like evidence to suggest yeah. like whether that's true or false. And, you know, a helpful practice is like when you have these resistances and, and this takes a lot of discernment as well. And it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of outlining it in a very simplistic manner, but you know, sometimes our, somatic self is saying that's not good for me like stay away from that that's dangerous sometimes it's, it's telling you oh like i'm i'm really reacting strongly to this there's probably something there's probably some truth some some like fundamental realness to the thing i'm trying to avoid and just noting that and maybe you know maybe now is not the right time to go down that pathway and and that's okay but it's not going to go away you know, eventually, eventually you're going to be invited to go down that pathway. And maybe that time is now and, and maybe it's not. And, you know, maybe together we can find the courage to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It brings me right back to that time in my life where I was like, okay, yeah, I can feel that there is this invitation. It, it was like this kind of sudden awareness, like I'm kind of lying to myself. I could feel this kind of sense of dishonesty. And it kind of reminds me, and I want to tell this to our listeners, like sure. there's a, when I'm doing an, an assessment and I'm looking at somebody's cognitive profile, I can usually tell when, let's say it's a cognitive limit because it's just their brain isn't going to go faster or get more complex than that, that ceiling, so to speak. I mean, the words here are, tr are tricky because it sounds so like fixed and it's not that fixed, but they're not naturally going to have a drive to go further um, down that complexity path, let's say. So there's like a natural ceiling for a lot of people, for, for most people. And then 
you can feel sometimes that there's like a ceiling below the natural ceiling uh, where they're like, yes. okay, like, no, I don't go, I, nope. I won't go there. So you, it's, that's the, it's like uh, when there's a false ceiling, that's when I can feel that there's trauma there and like that they're, you know, they've got evidence for why their ceiling is there and yes. not somewhere else. So for people who are kind of wondering, well, is this a real limit or is this like a trauma limit that I've imposed on, that there's like a fragmented part that's imposing this limit on myself? I can feel it with like, you know, there's a lot of, let's say, emotions that are, you know, anger, guilt, shame, this kind of stuff that's like, I can't go there. No, like it would be yeah. shameful if I would go there. Oh, well, that sounds more like trauma rather than an actual opinion you know like an actual thing that's that's the limit and I remember during that time where I kind of had this awakening where I was like I think I'm lying to myself it was because I was so adamant I was like no nobody's gonna like you know it wasn't just me saying you know what life just hasn't proven to me that yes. I'm safe. it was really like you know this adamant you know and I, yes. I could feel like this doesn't go in line with when I know my real limits it's like, I just know it and I accept it. And that's that. And this was not yes. that. So, you know, tip to listeners, if you're kind of trying to discern what your real limit is, like, look at the emotion that comes with it. No. If it's kind of an angry searching for evidence kind of thing, that might be a trauma fragment that's speaking. Yeah. Well, and it actually just reminds me of, uh, of a consult I had uh, with, uh, with a woman recently, gifted person probably in the highly exceptionally profoundly gifted range. And my experience in just ha having that initial conversation with this, with this person is like, it, it was a heaviness and a sadness and a shame. And that was like, that felt like this, this like artificial ceiling that you're kind of describing. It felt like, holy cow, there's this person has so much potential and you know, that word potential, I mean, it's, it can be a very loaded yeah. term for a lot of good gifted people, but it's like, no, this is an artificial limit and I cannot wait to, to walk with this person and see kind of where they end up going. And if there is an upper limit, perhaps there's not an upper limit in, in different, in different ways, in different domains, but how, I guess the question for you, for you, Jennifer, is like, how would you, how would you teach somebody that, I guess? And is that kind of, is that just a, because you've gone through your own process of healing and because of your experience working with people, like it's almost like an intuitive felt, felt sense or, or is it something that's more, I don't know, is it something I guess more pragmatic or practical and, and maybe it's some combination of, of both? Yeah, I think it's a combination, but I, I mean, of course I've had to teach it to other assessors. Like how do you notice? Yeah. And um, it's always around the emotions. So what is the emotional yeah. language around these issues? When a person's giving you a thousand justifications for why they um, always do poorly on tests or something, or why they are never aware of anybody's emotions, it's that's not the same thing as saying, yeah, I, don't, I just kind of struggle to to read other people's emotions. It's like, like, no, I'm, I can't, I don't know what anybody thinks. I'm just always confused. I'm, and you can really feel that wait a second, there is something more than what you're saying. And sometimes that takes yeah. some probing on our part, you know, in the assessment process, like in the discussion, because sometimes, I mean, very often the way we approach it is like, if somebody presents that way, then I'll say, I sensed a discrepancy between what you were saying and what, like the complexity with which you, you sh showed your emotions about not knowing anybody's emotions 
you know, it didn't go together. So I'm curious, what do you say about that? And a lot of times that's when it comes out that, well, actually I am aware, but it's so painful to me because a lot of times this comes from, again, I mean, it comes from your background. So like it could come from abuse or something where it wasn't absolutely not safe to know people's emotions and knowing them caused so much pain that it's, there's a whole sort of life script that has been built into the neurons and the body um, and, and sort of the self organization that just says, no, this is not safe territory. And so for clients, a lot of times they're asking, well, how can I know? How can I sense when it's the difference? And I also tell them, be very aware of the emotions. Are, and, you know, practice radical honesty. Are you being honest with yourself? Sometimes the answer is no, but that doesn't mean that you have to then beat yourself over the head with the truth either. And then yeah. force yourself to immediately live in the new, like yeah. new awareness. Like sometimes it's just, you become aware that you're lying to yourself and that, and you live with that for a while. And sometimes you can keep lying to yourself and saying, no, no, I don't know anybody's emotions in, in this example that I'm giving. Sure. And it's, but it's kind of like you said with the, the greenhouse question, like if you're asking the question you've already started, and if yeah. you're recognizing that you're lying to yourself, you've already started to stop lying to yourself, yeah. you know, because it's really, really when you're totally disconnected that you're lying to yourself, but you're not even aware that you're lying to yourself. You're, you're believing it as a truth. Yes. Yeah. So, so the seed has been planted, so to say already. Yeah. Yeah. And then it naturally emerges then exactly as you're saying, then you, you kind of have, it's clear if you're already that far along in the process, then you have an intention and your intention is open and life is going to provide you those opportunities to start to feel safer, being a bit more honest with yourself, you know? Yeah, and it also just like in in that example and, and thinking about my own kind of process I've been through, it's not linear, right? These things are not linear, they're non-linear. And uh, at least my experience has been, it's like, you know, kind of, you know, talk about the spiral of growth, but circling around old patterns and and just like the, the fundamental necessity, the fundamental necessity of having compassion for yourself. And even though you might be very smart, I mean, part of being very smart is that you can outsmart yourself. Right. And, and you can justify things and you can rationalize things mm-hmm. and you can play games with yourself and you can run around for years doing that. That's okay. Let's just like, accept, accept it all. And with that acceptance, it's not like an allowance of like, Oh, I'm just not going to care. I mean, it's, it's this most of the time I find in myself, but also in others, it's like when you don't, when you know, you've let yourself down or, you know, you have kind of not lived into your, um, your full capacity, the tendency is to want to beat yourself up, right? The tendency is to kind of want to judge yourself because we think that by doing that, it's going to like teach us that, you know, it feels bad to do that. So we're not going to do it. It doesn't, my experience, anyways, I don't know what yours, that doesn't seem to work. Like the, the self-punishment is, is not helpful. That being said, having grace for oneself, having self-compassion while also having responsibility, right? And, um, and owning, kind of owning tendencies without adding that additional layer of self-judgment. That's a very, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult thing to learn how to do. Uh, at least it has been for me and it has been for a lot of the people I've worked with. Well, also kind of taking responsibility for your healing. So having agency, recognizing kind of patterns, getting back onto the path when, when you've kind of wandered and having compassion for, your, for yourself as like a, a broken, limited human being, like all of us, whether you're gifted or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it also makes me think of this, again, coming back to like the natural rhythms of things. And sometimes 
in terms of self-compassion, I almost think of it as like a, just partnering with the rhythms of life. So just being a partner, like, you know, not because sometimes you can say, well, it's about surrender. Surrender can be a tricky word, a very tricky word. Sometimes it's, people say it's about acceptance. Mm, that's also, that can be a really tricky word. But if you're like partnering with natural rhythms, it yeah. means that you're with the process, the way that the process goes and you accept what that means for maybe periods that don't feel so good, but it's okay. Like you yes. said before, it's kind of, it's all welcome and it's all okay. And it, that wouldn't mean, of course, that I would accept like abuse or something, you know, something negative like that. Like yes. I still have my boundaries and everything, but yes. it's allowing this, this process to be what it is or partnering with the process, the way it is basically. Yes. And I mean, I think we're highlighting just the complexity of all of this, whether we're putting yeah. it to words or actually going along with the process, it's very complex. And if we, if we try to think of it linearly or we hold ourselves to, to certain kind of expectations, we need to do that in some ways, obviously as humans, like to, to having containers for things and, and sometimes willing ourselves through things that don't necessarily feel great is necessary. At the same time, willing yourself through some things that don't feel great could be a horrible thing. And it's that nuance and that complexity and that being kind of self-aware and having people around you who can reflect back maybe tendencies with compassion allows us to kind of like slowly, you know, erode certain tendencies and patterns and allow it to just flow. But I find anytime, anytime I try to create like a map of something or like really put it's like, okay, this is, this is what leads to that. And if I do this, then it's like the second I do that, I know I'm, I'm usually on the wrong track because because there's a there's a flow to it all and things are always changing and i'm discovering even you know 12 years after i started this process i'm discovering parts of myself I, I didn't even know existed back then and it's all unfolding in this way that feels entirely kind of natural and um and necessary um and then sometimes the old patterns come back and because you're doing a new thing and you're going in a new direction and it's kind of like it, it's like you learn and then you fall back you learn you fall back but you keep on going what you're talking about reminds me as well of this kind of thing when we're really connected with nature we also understand that nature doesn't only just work it it does work slowly sometimes but sometimes like i don't know you get the torrential downpour or whatever the winds come and i mean we're seeing this even more and more like sometimes nature is not uh it's a slow like quietly delicate emergent process sometimes it's like comes with a force and that also mm. is within this this uh non-linear space yes. of of growth and compassion i think it's also important to remember that I, I said this in a talk with karen that for me getting back really in touch with nature as an adult has really helped me to have way better boundaries relationally for example because nature <laughs> it doesn't it, it doesn't mess with you, you know, like it's, it's not just going to, um, like I'm thinking of a doormat, you know, this kind of idea, like, oh, I just sit and I, I just allow everything to be what it is. I mean, there is, there can be that element, but there's also this other element that's like, okay, jump to the, jump to the new thing. Uh, yeah. Quick, yeah, something yeah. happens, but it's sort of, again, being a partner with that process and not demanding that it be different when, like not demanding that it be faster when it's in a slow like yes. the real, the real reality is that it's slow in this moment. So it's like not demanding that it be faster than it is in this moment. Yes. But conversely, when it, the real reality is that it's moving really fast, 
not demanding that it be different than it is and kind of learning to ride the yeah. waves that come. Sure. And it reminds me just of like, when we talk to you about nature, right? And seasons, the seasons of, of, of change, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we're headed into fall here in, in the Northern hemisphere. Uh, and like, it's a completely different experience. And there's, there's a more inward, I, I sense a more inward feeling, a coziness of wanting to kind of like be, kind of close down a little bit and, and hibernate. And it's like, you know, sometimes I think the internal psychological process are, are the same way. It's like there's summers of, 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 of massive growth and, uh, and depending on the environmental factors at play, like it could be like, who knows if it's extra warm, like just incredible lushness as that we had here this summer. And then, you know, other summers it's like, uh, you know, I, I have this powerful connection with, uh, with oak trees, red oaks, and I think I might've been one at some point, quite <laughs> frankly, but, um, so, you know, this season it's like all of that they're producing, like it's a bumper crop of acorns, uh, mm. And they tend to do that from time to time. And that's the same thing that happens to us psychologically. It's, who knows why? Sometimes it's inner, outer. There's like a bumper crop and and being with that. But then sometimes it's like, it feels kind of like nothing's happening. Uh, and there's there's a bit of that less vibrancy and a little bit more inwardness and kind of fallow. And that's okay too. Like allowing it to be okay. Well, also kind of, again, and this is the challenging part to discern what is really real. Like, are you kind of, shutting down parts of yourself uh, and wanting to be fallow or are you actually following kind of the flow of nature and it's kind of like no we need to rest right now because these nutrients need to kind of break down and go into the soil and you need to absorb that because you know you're prepping for the a, another season of growth um and again that just that discernment process is, is not uh i don't find it particularly easy although as time goes on and i let's say become a little bit wiser, I'll, I'll say that. Um, I, I'm kind of noticing patterns in myself and in others, so. Yeah, and I think for those of us who, you know, don't live in, in a sort of more natural way and who have been really, let's say, um, uh, affected by internalized capitalistic ideology, there's such a disconnection from natural, the, like the idea of natural cycles. It's like every day I should wake up and my gifted brain should just like, you know, yes. do the best things. But I mean, I have so many days where my gifted brain needs total quiet and silence yes. and to do nothing, you know, productive. And that's what it's, I mean, days and weeks, and sometimes it's been months at a time. Um, and it's been really important for me. And I've seen this so many times with clients, and I'm sure you could echo the same thing sure. to get back in touch with what is, what are the seasons what of is, my yes. brain? And what, what is, is really it? real? What's really real? What, what season am I in now? And then honoring that season and being with it. Yes. What a beautiful way to end a very uh, yeah. emergent and lovely conversation. Yeah, this, this is, uh, I mean, there's two things I'm, I'm feeling. One is like, this is exciting and actually inspiring for me uh, as I'm kind of going through a period of growth and expansion. Uh, it's very inspiring. Um, and then there's also like, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that's good. So that that's a good sign, right? Yes, exactly. I'm satiated. Yeah. 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 Well, that's lovely. Well, we'll go now into a period of rest um, until the next thing. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me here. Maybe we'll uh, follow up in additional conversations. We'll see where it goes. But I want to thank everybody for listening to us. You can learn more about Eric's work at Eric Windhorst. 
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca